0: Hi, Elizabeth Silverstein, host of Sustaining Craft here with a pre-interview message. This interview with Robert Bean was recorded several months ago, and I struggled to get it done with so many tech errors, which included losing my laptop unexpectedly, but I got through it and it's here. However, because of the delay, some things are out of date, like his class, which we discuss, that is long completed. Instead, I've included some resources in the description box, both for the YouTube video and the podcast, to his newsletter and website, where you can sign up to find out about upcoming classes and workshops from Robert. In addition, next week, I will be publishing my interview with Brandy Mims. She is an incredible deaf dancer, but due to production delays, this will be published pretty close to her dance production on April 22nd. I will include the link for tickets to that if you're in the Little Rock area as well. Be sure to attend if you can. It will be spectacular. And now, please enjoy the interview with Robert. Hi, welcome back to Sustaining Craft. I'm your host, Elizabeth Silverstein. I'm a professional writer and full-time dog trainer, and I have with me today, back again for the third time, Robert Bean, who is a, a professional visual artist and instructor who works on an endless list of really cool projects and classes, like the upcoming Back to Drawing Bootcamp that begins on February 21st. Hi, Robert, how are you?
1: I'm good, how are you?
0: I'm <laughs> doing all right. So the first time we talked was a bit way back in 2018. And then we touched base again in 2020 over the pandemic, and now here we are again <laughs> three years mm-hmm. later <laughs> to see what you've been up to. How have things been going?
1: Good, busy. Um, you know, I was one of the people that didn't really slow down with the pandemic. I mean, I, I guess as an artist, especially with my studio being in my house, it, it was, I was still going to work every day. Mm-hmm. And when we, when we figured out how to do classes online, then the teaching didn't stop either. Um, I also teach at, you know, UA Little Rock, and we pivoted online there. And so I'm, you know, this back to drawing boot camp class is now something I'm doing independently. I'm doing it on my own, but it came out of that experience with learning how to do everything through Zoom and online and everything else. And so I didn't see a reason to stop doing it. Yeah.
2: So
0: yeah, that's awesome. And we, t- I took a class with you, I think back in, t- in 2021. We did a a history class about mm-hmm. art. And that was really informative and really good. And I have to say, your, your um, method of teaching is very calming and just very welcoming. So I did appreciate oh, that about stepping yeah. into it. And I did, I did sign up for the class, so I'll be taking the back to drawing. Drawing is something I've, I've loved ever since I was little. And you know, as we get older, we step away from the things we, we love. So I, I did really appreciate it that it was for people that have experience, but also people that are new mm-hmm. to it. So. Yeah. How do, you, how do you set it up so that it's welcoming if you have some knowledge or if you don't?
1: Uh, I approach it with, uh, the class is going to be broken into kind of, each session will be an hour and a half and I'm going to break it into basically a 45 and a 45. And in the first 45 minutes what we'll do is we'll talk about like basic concepts. Stuff that if you're new to it, it'll be brand new. But it's like the basic things you have to learn. But if you're someone who's been drawing for a while, um, and, and, I, and I find this, I think in every discipline, everyone does this, you, you get so far ahead, you stop really thinking about those little things that started because they become kind of intuitive and, and you get used to them and so sometimes it can really help to go back and hear those things again and go, oh, I haven't thought about that in a long time. And am I doing it the way I used to? Have I changed it? You know, stuff like that. So that first 45 minutes is designed to kind of either remind or introduce. And then the second 45 minutes is designed to talk about, well, how do you maintain the practice? Um, That's the other thing I find that students often run into trouble with is, if they're in a class, they'll work. As soon as the class is over, they don't. You know, or it'll be really sporadic. They'll like, I'm inspired this weekend, so I'll go in and work and stuff like that. But when when you're learning how to be a professional, that's what ends up, that's what separates you, is the ability to go in and do work. Um, and do it daily or almost daily and -hmm. and actually make stuff Um, you can't just wait for someone to give you a prompt although we're going to do those in the class to get you going but you can't just wait you have to go do it you have to have the initiative yourself so we'll talk about how you do that how do you develop that practice
0: Something I really wanted to touch on with you too, is I, I think a lot about this in terms of, as a dog trainer, I have to help people with the foundations first, and we can't mm-hmm. do the cool stuff unless they get the foundations down. And people don't always understand, well, what are those foundations? Mm-hmm. And that's important to delve into. And then I took a I took some salsa bachata classes mm-hmm. downtown at Club 27, and they were just running us through the basics level skills before we could get on to the more advanced things. And I think it's hard for people to understand outside what that looks like and how to do it mm-hmm. and that's where it's so important to have someone to coach you through it and have an instructor of like hey remember yeah this yeah. is what we do.
1: Yeah exactly because if you if you don't know those things that's what makes it frustrating. Um, why aren't I good at it? Yeah why isn't this working? Why <laughs> yes. is it this it's happening? Mm-hmm. Or you don't even you don't even understand how to figure out what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know a lot of students will get excited and, and say I've always wanted to learn how to like paint in watercolor. I've, I've always want to learn how to oil paint. But they won't learn how to draw first. And then they get really frustrated because it doesn't work the way they want it to work. And and one of the, the things about drawing is the really the, the core idea behind drawing is, is it teaches you how to see. Um, and that may sound weird to people who don't understand that, but it's the idea of when you look at something, everything is made up of these like base shapes and forms essentially. When I look at like a building, it's essentially a cube. And when I look at like know even with like people if you're drawing people they're made up of all these smaller shapes and forms and you have to learn how to see that and translate it otherwise everything looks really flat when you draw it so that's some of those core fundamental things that if you take the time and learn those then when you try to paint or you try to do something else or draw it won't be as frustrating because at least you're making it look kind of like you want it to look yeah
0: is it accurate to call drawing kind of the skeletal structure of like you know a a fabric uh, or like let me let me rephrase that so drawing would be the bones of the painting so the painting Mm -hmm. would be more like the fabric on furniture Mm -hmm. you know whereas the the drawing would be the bones of the kind of the the metal or the the wood underneath
1: yeah yeah that's kind of um a good way to put it even with like um a lot of like abstract art if you don't understand those core fundamental concepts that you learn when you when you take drawing if you don't understand things like light and shadow you understand things like movement which is what you learn and and how shape works and how shapes relate to each other then even your abstract art won't come across as very interesting so while learning me well learning drawing really does help you kind of understand how to um see things in a realistic manner and, and translate it even when you abstract out and this is one of the I don't think a lot of people realize learning how to see is part of that abstraction process. Even if you want to do like colorful abstract paintings it would always work that way. Um, So when we look at some of the best abstract artists that have ever existed they usually could draw realistically. They learned how to do that Um, and so that's why something like this kind of class I think even if you're not like I'm not going to draw all the time I want to paint it's still Mm -hmm. worth the time to to learn it.
0: That's awesome and that also to like thinking about how they know abstract artists knowing how to draw realistically, they chose abstract as their self-expression, right? Mm-hmm. That right. was their, their desired yeah. form. So yeah, really interesting. And it was interesting taking that, that class with you where you kind of delved into how, you know, how people develop styles, where those styles came from, how things were happening over time, because then you could see what impacted people and mm-hmm. what they were drawn to. And there's a lot that impacts you know, history, what's happening in our current time, all of that can impact our style and how we choose to express ourselves as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it, um, I, I, try to, I try to look at it as you have to learn how to play scales on an instrument before you can play a song. And, and then once you learn how to play a song, then you can learn how to compose something. And, and the composition is what's coming from that influence of everything around you. So drawing is the same way. I learn how to draw something, and then I learn how to make a drawing, and then I go, okay, now that I've got these skills, I can start to comment on the things around me start to talk about those things that are influencing me out in the world around me and stuff like that. But you do have to kind of build up to it.
0: There's a couple of things that are popping out to me. Uh, First, the practice, which is something you still do, even though you have many, many Mm -hmm. years under your belt as an accomplished um, artist, you still practice. And the second is how you allow things to impact you and to grow and learn from that. And I think it's easy for us to get stagnant when we don't allow for both of those processes to happen.
1: Absolutely. Um, I I use the figure a lot in my work. That tends to be a focus, um, drawing people. And so I like to teach figure drawing, and I practice figure drawing constantly. I work from the model, I go to sessions with models, all that kind of stuff. Um, And I've gotten some really great work out of it. Uh, I actually have an exhibition up through the end of February at UA Little Rock right now that is um, called Figure Drawing On Screen and Off, and it is an educational exhibition that has every piece has a wall tag with a full explanation of that piece what was going on I list all the like materials I list the time where the model was because it's it's kind of going through what figure drawing was before the pandemic what happened during the pandemic mm-hmm. when it went online and what it's like now mm-hmm. and if you go through it has this like order where you can read the whole thing and you get this idea of what it's like but that also shows the practice It shows what goes into the process. It shows what the artist, you know, goes through. And um, I I think you can't have the expression without the practice Mm -hmm. as easy. I think Mm -hmm. it's better when they work together, that tension Mm -hmm. between the practice and the expression. So, yeah, what you're saying is exactly that. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, And that's, I I, I think that's something that has stuck out to me before is that you really like to document and show stories, even though if you're not telling a specific story in a piece, there is a whole story there. Mm -hmm. And if people want to delve into it, they can find that. And that comes, I know from your past, we we talked about that in the first interview we did of how you grew up reading comic books Mm -hmm. and how that story is important to you. So how has that embrace of the story has that changed for you over the pandemic? Because I know you've you built, you've used the pandemic mm-hmm. now. How have you considered story um, in, I guess, more recent years?
1: It hasn't. Um, my approach to story hasn't changed that much. Uh, it's still a focus of what I do. Uh, I started working on a graphic novel, which is um, really daunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very complex. And so and I'm having to spend a lot of time writing, which is going along into that. Um, but I think that one thing that the 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 pandemic if if there was a way that it affected my idea of narrative is how much narrative we get from like digital sources um you know when you're stuck at home and you can't leave i wasn't going out and talking with people i was reading a lot of stuff online i was watching stuff online and then having conversations through digital media with people um and so i realized how much of the narratives contemporary narratives are told through a device now rather than sitting around talking about it with other people. We're, all, we're doing it through this. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and in one way it's really interesting because it opened up every the world to everybody. So you know, like having, um, when I started doing figure drawing online and I started having to find models to, to model through my classes, um, because that process is, it's a lot closer to like setting up uh, shots for like a film than it is in a classroom. In a classroom, I can just work with the model right there and we can get the poses down. But when it's done over Zoom, they have to set cameras up. And so, you know, some of the models I would work with, it would literally be like, they would put tape down, like this is my mark for this pose, and this is my mark for this pose, and this is where the camera's gonna go. Which meant I had a lot of conversations pre-class with models and got to know them wherever they were. So Mm -hmm. if I'm talking to like, uh, like I worked with a a couple called the Life Drawing Duo out of their, out of Southern Spain Mediterranean area. And so it was really fascinating to talk to them about what's going on where they were or Mm -hmm. talking to like a model in the UK or a model in the East Coast of the United States. And so their stories were things that kind of resonated because we would have these conversations about how they were dealing with the pandemic and what they were doing and Mm -hmm. and all of that. And so it wasn't me just in Mm -hmm. Little Rock, Arkansas knowing what my, my friends in Little Rock are going through, it was like, I was getting this idea of what it was like everywhere. Um, and so that, I think, if there was one thing that came out of the pandemic and how it influenced my idea of narrative, it was that it enlarged it. Uh, it, gave me kind of a broader view of things.
0: That is fascinating. Is that tied to, so one of the things, and I'll, 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 um, I'll add in links for our previous two interviews, your, um, your exhibition, exhibit, I'll add in all the links for everything. Um, And then you did one at um, Nexus that I wanted to bring up too that I thought was really fascinating because that's that's done now, Mm -hmm. right? But that was just every day kind of snapshots of people, right? Or were those out of your – that was just out of your head? They were
1: characterizations is what they were. Um, So one of the things I like about going out – I like to go sketch like in Mm -hmm. coffee houses and stuff. And that was something that went away with the pandemic, and it's been nice to kind of – be able to do that a little bit, although I haven't done it nearly as much as I did before the pandemic. That hasn't come back yet in the way it was before, but I, growing up on comics, the idea of creating characters is always really fun for me. And um, I was I was trying to come up with what I was gonna do for that exhibition, it was, it was kind of, I was really frustrated with everything I was doing at the time. And I was okay. like, I don't really wanna do this, I don't wanna do this, I don't wanna do this. And I'd done a little character sketch for, um, Actually, a role-playing game because I, I played role-playing games and stuff. And uh, uh, my partner, Chris, she came in and I, you know we were having a conversation in my studio. And I was talking about how frustrated I was. She's like, "Do that," mm-hmm. and she pointed at the character. And I was like, "What that?" She's like, mm-hmm. "Do that." Mm-hmm. I was like, "She's like, you had fun drawing that? I know you did." And I was like, "Oh, I did." Mm-hmm. And so I was like, "Okay." So I started thinking about it, and with it being at a coffee house, I was like, "Well." What it, wouldn't it be interesting to come up with all these characters based on, like, snippets of people I've seen at coffee houses and stuff like that? Um, and all of them have, all the sketches had coffee somewhere in the sketch. On the, like, some of the characters had tattoos and it would have, like, coffee in the tattoo or mm-hmm. stuff like that. None mm-hmm. of were actually holding coffee. And then I tried to come up with these ideas of... Um, uh, their identities as if they were presented through social media. So a lot of the titles would be their social media handle if they were like on Instagram or something Mm. like that. And it gave insight into who the character was and that sort of thing. So I was kind of merging all of those things together to make that show. But the the character designs were very cartoony and it was designed Mm -hmm. to be that way. So Mm -hmm. it was a lot of fun to do that, yeah. And then
0: you had them showing at a coffee, shop yeah, at a coffee like, shop. yeah, which is like, yeah, full, full circle. Uh-huh. That is really cool. And I think that also speaks to how sometimes we do need like outside voices, like with Chris, of someone saying, you know, why don't you do this? Mm-hmm. Where you're too close to it for you. It was just like a little random sketch, right? right, right. And then it became something so much yeah. bigger. Yeah, so that's yeah really cool. it's
1: great to invite people in, I think, and mm-hmm. get them to do that. I, um, I like to tell students a lot of times, uh, you know, in the, in the visual arts, we have uh, critiques. Where you know you put work up, and then a group of artists, or you know, if it's in a classroom, maybe the other students and the instructor will all look at the work and give critical feedback. You know, they'll talk about like what they think works, what it doesn't, and it's more than just saying I like this or I don't like this. It's like really going in and saying, well, when I look at the composition, I'm not sure that the the asymmetrical balance you were looking for is working the way you think it is. You know, it's more mm-hmm. technical kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always always tried to tell students too, and this goes in the, into kind of what happened with Chris coming in and pointing that out is always get non-artists to look at your work too. Um, I had a a drawing years ago where I had several artist friends look at it and they were giving me all that technical stuff and then I had a non-artist friend come in and look at it and she took one minute and it was like this pastel drawing of these colors and she said that color is bird vomit. I was Mm. like you are correct (laughs) it is all the artists missed it but she you know just came Mm -hmm. in and just said that's what that color looks like to Mm. me. And so I I fixed it Mm because I didn't want to put the color of bird vomit or whatever on the walls. A little bit of a mood breaker. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And so, um, but that idea of having someone come in sometimes and point something out to you that you can't see, Mm -hmm. because you're right, there's too many things going on in your studio. There's too many things you're you're thinking about. You can't see sometimes those small things. Mm -hmm. Is really helpful to have that voice.
0: I often... Describe that to my dog training clients as if you are trying to hang the, the picture, you can't see if it's crooked or not so yeah. someone's having a step back while you're holding it can mm-hmm. really help direct you and kind of give you that little bit of feedback just like that yeah so that's that a great helpful. Yeah. yeah we can't we can't see yeah. all the things and yeah. something that people tell me all the time like why didn't I think of that well you can't think of everything yeah. <laughs> you're just one person mm-hmm. so that is yeah, that's really helpful um and something yeah good to keep in mind I think for people who are just starting out that might be a little bit more nerve-wracking because mm-hmm. you with your experience that's something you're used to doing and you need it right mm-hmm. of like please give me feedback what advice do you have for someone who would like to get feedback but they're nervous about asking people for feedback?
1: Um, Give the work space. Um, I I think part of part of the problem we have is that like if you're stuck in a drawing you're stuck in a piece you're making you're often very involved in that piece at the time Mm -hmm. And, and sometimes you can be very emotionally invested in it too and one of the things that that I think helps is to simply put it away for a while. And that while might just be a couple of days or it might be a couple of weeks, but literally take the work away from the drafting table, away from the easel, wherever you're making it, and put it away where you can't see it. And put, so you stop thinking about it as much. And it's not always there, you know, consciously bothering you. Mm -hmm. And after that, then pull it out, reassess reassess it yourself, and then get someone to look at it. Um, Because you've given yourself some space. Um, there's a preciousness that comes with making and right at the moment of making things is when it's the most precious and so you don't want that like negative wallop on you (laughs) when you've just (laughs) made this thing you spent all this time Mm -hmm. so if you can give it some space and distance then it doesn't have that kind of impact you know that it might not hit you as hard Um, and so that's always uh, to me the easiest thing is just give it a little bit of breathing room and then come Mm -hmm. back to it
0: does that, so that would help with the emotions of like, this is my new more baby creation, be yes. gentle with it, and they take it yeah. and throw it at the wall, so, yeah. okay. So. Yeah,
1: I, you know, with artists, we actually, part of the training we go through is to to learn how to develop the ability to withstand the, the critique. I mm-hmm. mean, because you, you have to, I mean, if you want people to come in and look, you know, I always tell people you're going to be a visual artist, it's visual, you're going to be out there you have to put yourself in front of everybody. They have to see it because it's visual art. Yeah. And so that's part of the thing is how do you, how do you, kind of give yourself a little bit of a thick skin so it's, you're not as bothered by it. When I was in, when I was getting my undergraduate degree, um, I had this kind of epiphany during a critique, class critique one time where I had my work up on the wall and the whole class is going through and everybody's saying all these different things and the teacher saying things, and I just sat there and I realized they can't see fraction of the things wrong with it that I can't
2: mm-hmm. and, and
1: it was like I was like I am the only one in the room that truly knows what this is supposed to look like and no one else can truly know that. And so it was one of those things where I was like that to me took all the pressure of critique off because I realized I will always see far more wrong with it than anyone else will And so it made it much easier on me to go into a critique because I can just put it up there and go well let's see what everyone else sees they may see something I don't and and that made it easier on me but that may not work for everybody either. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that's um, that's really helpful, I think, in general for people. Because sometimes we do that to ourselves, right? We're the mm-hmm. ones staring at ourselves the most. We can tear ourselves apart. We see all the things that are imperfect with us. But when we're out and about and people look at us, they don't see those same things. Or they right. don't care about those same right. things. So I think that's just a really helpful thing to think about in general. Yeah, I guess <laughs> like, it is. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I do want to point out, so not everybody is going to create art for it to be observed. And it's okay for people to create art just for yourself. Mm-hmm. Where do you feel it's important for someone to take that step and present it to the world and where it's okay for them just to keep it inside?
1: Um, it's interesting that you you asked me that because I actually had a friend ask me earlier today. Uh, they have an acquaintance who has a, a child that's, I think, contemplating art school. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those, like, fundamental questions, right? Is because if you're going to go to college for an art degree, most likely you're wanting to do it as a professional.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And there is, there is something to the idea of making something just for yourself and just enjoying the process. And, and, and we try to tell everybody make the art for you, and then once it's done, then figure out how to do the professional stuff with it. But, you know, because otherwise it, you might not, you know, if you're talking about like more fine art, that's kind of what I'm talking about, you know. You want to have, you know, it resonate and be genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little different when you get into like commercial art where you're doing something for clients. That's that's more of a collaborative process, but mm-hmm. and a more painful process. And it can be more painful, <laughs> yeah. yes. But I- if you are someone who likes to make, you don't have to do it professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I think that. It's helpful to still go learn all the techniques and learn the things so that you don't get frustrated by the process. If mm-hmm. it's something you enjoy, then learn it and, and get make it so that it's comfortable to do rather than uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and show it if you wanna show it, you know, it, 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 or don't. Um, there's a, and I don't remember where I learned this years ago, but there was a, someone who was talking about, um, most people know the term writer's block, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but visual artists can get the same thing, where it's just like we get blocked up and we don't know what to do next or where to go next and stuff like that. Um, and a lot of times it stems from things become too precious. They mm-hmm. become, you know, every every work you're trying, it's, sometimes it's called like master, masterpiece syndrome. Every mm-hmm. time you sit down, you're trying to create a masterpiece instead of mm-hmm. just make something. And one of the, the solutions I saw a long time ago, and I actually did this early in my career and it helped, was uh, to fill a sketchbook up with drawings and throw it away. Mm. I mean, you want to talk about, like, I just spent all this time filling this sketchbook up and then throw it in the trash.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah,
1: it's, it's really daunting, but mm-hmm. it's also like, if I have the ability to do that, I can let go of anything I'm making. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're someone that wants to be, like, do it professionally, to put your work out there and show, or anything, even if you're just semi-professional or whatever, you have to have that same ability to throw it in the trash. Could you take the work and get rid of it? Mm-hmm. Because when it's on the wall, Everyone's going to say what they think about it. And mm-hmm. you have to be able to step away from,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, I've had, I've had, I've heard so many crazy comments about my work over my career where mm-hmm. they didn't know I was the artist and I'm standing at the opening and they're in front of me talking about the work and I'm just like, this is wild, all the things they're saying. Mm-hmm. So you have to, you have to be able to get that, you know, mm-hmm. that ability to just let it roll off you or it could, it can be bothersome, yeah.
0: So is it really a process of separating your personhood from what you create? Because that temptation is like, I am my creation instead of I am a distinct person and I will always be creating and it's not.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people get tied up that they are their work and their work mm-hmm. is them. Mm-hmm. And I don't always ascribe to that. Um, part of this comes, from, and this is an interesting conversation I've been having with um, uh, Diane Harper actually. She so mm-hmm. and I talk a lot about art and we've been having this conversation lately about I think right now there is this idea in the visual arts that when you see a piece of art, it has a piece of the artist in it, or it's that it's channeling that artist, or you know this idea of um, whether it's genuine or not. Uh, there's a lot of uh, you have to be really careful with like, are you appropriating something mm-hmm. as an artist? Am I taking a symbol from somebody mm-hmm. that I shouldn't, that I don't really have a you know a right to use and putting it in my work or something like that. Um, And so I think a lot of artists have gotten to the idea of, well, I just make work that's me, that's my work kind of thing. But what's fascinating is, like, I was also a creative writing major for a long time, and I did a lot of writing. And um, one of my teachers, fantastic teacher, uh, David Giles, said, you've probably always heard the, you know, write what you know. Mm -hmm. He always said, start with what you know and make the rest up from there. Um, as a creative writer, that makes a lot more sense, right? I'll, I'll, I'll start with this little nugget of information that I know, and then I'm going to build something on top of that. Mm-hmm. And that allows for investigation. And so, like, mm-hmm. uh, he has this, this really great kind of like, writer's bio that talks a little bit about you know, it's an introduction to one of his writing books, I think. And it talks about, like, you know, he's like, I've been, you know, this kind of person, and this person, and this person. They're all people not like him. But writing gave him the ability to investigate that and become someone different. And I think visual artists can do the same thing, and that goes to what you're talking about with that separation. And so when I'm making work, especially when it's narrative work, I'm trying to figure out who someone else is. I'm trying to figure that character. When I was doing those coffee characters, those people aren't me, Mm -hmm. but it gave me a chance to explore how those people might be and how they're reacting to the world. And so I put it out there. And so therefore, if I'm putting my work out there, it's not me hanging on the wall, it's just a creation of me. There's, there's parts of me in it, but it's not all me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's the distinction you have to make as an artist.
0: That is really fascinating, too, because I think that also leads to a lot of growth. When you can step into someone else's shoes and see through the the world through their eyes and you understand that they're going to look at things differently than you and like care about different things than you, then I think that also allows for a lot more compassion. Um, As an artist, I feel like when you're doing art right, you are some of the most compassionate, sensitive people because Mm. you have this perspective of the world that, the normal person doesn't have when they're not doing that actively
1: right right I think that you know in, in a lot of the like like the the work the artwork I worry about a lot is stuff that's like um, social justice art and, and stuff like that because that art is desperately needed and it needs to be used to to highlight things but to me I think far too often it's it's used as a blunt instrument I'm just gonna put this out there and hit you with it and say mm-hmm. this is a problem and mm-hmm. instead of like casting it through someone's through like the eyes of a person to allow the viewer to put themselves in that person's shoes or stuff like that and it's hard to do that I understand that mm-hmm. but I think to me that's when it becomes more powerful is when you create that experience where I can look at something and go I understand now how that person feels um, instead of just basically putting something out there that's yelling at people about something Mm -hmm. um and so it's it's a it's a it's a tough you know tough road to travel and I get that but it's also like isn't that one of the challenges that you know can be so rewarding too is when you do make the piece where people go I understand
0: and I think when we look at trauma like the like for example the um the earthquake that happened in Turkey, there's just so many videos and photos of people just sitting with their loved ones' dead bodies. Mm -hmm. And it's like, can't we be more respectful than that? Can't we sit with them in that? Why do we have to just consume this? Can we find ways to help them? That's not about exploiting their pain. It is, I just don't understand, I don't think that people understand how, how, um, devastating and traumatic these events are when we're just consuming 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 and people are just yelling about it how do we honor those deaths and that trauma without exploiting it
1: well I think too the problem is that often when we look at like an event like you're talking about we, t- we focus too much on the event mm-hmm. and and the thing is it's the things that happen before and after that are that are what you deal with as a, as a human being right mm-hmm. it's what was your life before the event, and what, what's it like after? Is it Was it, you know, before you lose that person, how did you feel or experience life? And when they're gone, how do you deal with it? And, and to me, you know, when you look at some of the great, you know, books and, and like, movies that talk about this, it's, that event is rarely a, a big part of the story. It's everything that happens after.
0: The Last of Us, have you been? I have not seen that. Oh, my goodness. So when you talk about... <laughs> like I think the game does it just as well yeah. I think the TV show does it really well too it they just uh, they have like the inciting incident what happened before mm-hmm. then they skip over and then it's 20 years later and just dealing with the aftermath and all of that too and just how that the whole story the game I think and the TV series how it deals with these dramatic events like the the zombies are just part of this mm-hmm. the story of humanity like yeah. that's really all it is so if you do have a chance i really recommend it. i'd love to hear your yeah. thoughts on it but that's just exactly what it reminded me of is like how how do we delve in to the deep humanity of these people and how they were impacted in their emotions and why they make the decisions they do um i think the last of us does it so so well i'm a, I'm a big
1: fan of like the horror genre mm-hmm. and the reason i like it isn't just for like the the kind of Thrill that comes from you know being scared or something—it's—it's mm-hmm. it's exactly what you're talking about. Um, often, whatever the the thing is that is designed to scare or create fear, it's just—it's there to create the reaction, and it's the reaction of the characters that make it genuine. That mm-hmm. how they react to a situation, how they react to something, you know, and, and how they grow from it. And to me, that's always far more interesting. Um, and what I liked about it, you know. Uh, is is that idea that we grow and transform from this uh we we find out parts of who we are that we didn't know before and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing and i think you can apply that to fiction you can apply it to nonfiction, whatever whichever way you want to go and i to me a lot of when i look at a lot of contemporary art to me that's part of what's missing Mm -hmm. is that that aspect of it we're not talking about what's happening after we're talking about the thing Mm-hmm. And, and and not talking about the humanity that goes, you know, mm-hmm. around it.
2: Yeah,
0: and what drives it. I think a good example of that is the Babadook. So I did not like horror until I watched that film because it was like. He, he was a physical representation of grief mm-hmm. and like and how they explore that. I think other really great examples of that are The Haunting of Hill House, mm-hmm. too, and just how they explore the humanity of these people and, and what their motivations are and how their environment you know impacts them. So I think horror done well mm-hmm. is stunning, uh, yes. stunning insight into humanity yeah. and, and how we how we're motivated and how we grow or we don't
1: done poorly it's really awful oh yeah oh my (laughs) goodness my
0: my older sister was obsessed with like the saw movies so we just watched like trauma (laughs) incessantly and i was just like uh horror is the worst and then i started seeing these beautifully done works and i was like wow horror done Mm -hmm. well is truly stunning that's why like
1: i think the walking dead resonated with a lot of Mm -hmm. people the same kind of thing because it wasn't really about the fact that like there were the walking dead i mean they were Mm -hmm. part of it it was more that you had these people trying to figure out how to Survive and interact with each other. And mm-hmm. often the conflicts aren't them with the undead, it's them with each other. Mm-hmm. And it yep. gives you a chance to examine humanity that way.
0: Yeah, I think Judith is a big example of that. Of like, it doesn't matter who her father was, like, mm-hmm. Rick was going to love her and yeah. take care of her no matter what. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that bond, she was what he had left. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Well, philosophical. <laughs> <laughs> so, share a little bit to bring this back around. What are you working on now? Um, what would you like to promote? How are you, how are you continuing to make your work your you know, your career?
1: Um, that is, there's a lot to that. Um, I, I'm doing a lot of teaching, which I've, I'm really enjoying. I'm teaching classes on my own. Um, I teach through the, the organizations I work for, like UA Little Rock or the Arkansas Museum of Fine Arts, and, and I'm doing workshops here and there, and, and that's fun. Uh, for me because it allows me one I like to share stuff with people and and help them develop and improve um, but at the same time teaching is one of those things that helps you remind yourself of what you're doing and a lot of the work that I do is coming out of that I've I've enjoyed doing a lot of figure drawing it was a thing to help get me through the pandemic but um, I'm not doing as much of it, of it as I was because it's just I did a lot of it, Mm -hmm. and so I'm I'm turning more back towards that narrative kind of stuff again, and and getting into doing some things. Um, I'm working on a show that'll be at Gallery 26 this summer uh, with Diane Harper and I. And and right now the uh, the concept I think is going to be really fun for both of us. Uh, I don't want to say anything yet. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, we'll see. We'll we'll give socials on where to follow and Um, how to. But it's it's. I'll say this it's I'm going back and looking at old work I've done and re-examining it and finding things to bring from that old work into what I'm doing now um, which is really you know I mean like looking at stuff I did 15 years ago and stuff like that. well what was I doing how was mm-hmm. I doing it and then I'm trying to bring some of those elements back mm-hmm. um, because you, you as an artist you do that where things change and you dro- you drop some things and you pick up new things and, and all that and so I'm trying to go back and find some of those older things and maybe bring them back into what I'm doing again mm-hmm. um, but the story is still there mm-hmm. uh, I've been working on like a series of images that are uh, I'm calling my storybook series where they're just these one-off like poster designs but each one is really narrative mm-hmm. uh, and there's like a central character with a lot of symbolic content so they're designed I, I like to try to make visual art you have to read so to mm-hmm. speak where you have to look at it and say okay there's all these flowers and the flowers look like a rose what does that mean exactly in this mm-hmm. context or um, I'll put little things like a framed picture that's upside down or there's books or uh, you know the character has an apple and what does that mean you mm-hmm. know like I like yeah. to put little things like that in there so while I might try to design it to be aesthetically pleasing I really want it to be where someone spends time and has to kind of decode it mm-hmm. and, and go, okay what does this mean exactly and, and try to figure out how all those things relate
2: mm-hmm. and that
1: sort of thing and then look at the title and go okay maybe I have some idea of what's here but I also try to leave it ambiguous enough that they can put some of themselves into it as well. So, and those are hard to do because...
0: It's a lot of mental work. <laughs> yeah, right. There's a lot of work that goes yeah. I
1: have to solve a lot of problems. Yeah. There's a lot of prep that goes into it. Whereas like the figure drawing, I can just sit down and bam, I can mm-hmm. you know, crank out these drawings, you know, working for the model, which is a lot of fun. It's, the figure drawing for me is a lot more of like, um, just a fun process, you know, just a relaxation. I can go in and just do this because mm-hmm. I've done it so much. Those pieces are the ones where I sit down and say, okay, I want to talk about maybe loss, or I want to talk about um, finding who you are. uh, And how do I do that subtly through the imagery that I'm creating? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it might be, like, I like to use tattoos. I think tattoos are a great way to put something, where you're literally putting something on the person that tells you who they are. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, you know, maybe the clothes they're wearing, stuff like that, What it's the environment they're in. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, I've been getting into stuff like, like old paper dolls. Like some of the illustrations I've been doing lately, some of the drawings I'm doing, like uh, when I just did, the buildings are all look like they're cardboard cutouts in the mm-hmm. background instead of real buildings. So mm-hmm. this idea of using you know, images that we understand, like buildings, but then putting them in a context where it looks like paper doll stuff, mm-hmm. I, you know, to play with that kind of imagery and see what people get out of it. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where my work's been going lately, and we'll see. See
0: what keeps going. Yeah, I just, it's, it's so fun to follow along and see what you're working on. I really loved the, the coffee shop characters and all of that. You just, um, it, you're just really thoughtful in what you put together and how you express it. So well, thank it's you. just, yeah. it's, it's fun to go on that journey. <laughs> <laughs> well, where can people find you? How do they follow along with what you're working on?
1: Uh, you can always go to my website, which is uh, Art. Uh, dot com or you can follow me on instagram at rvfineart. Um, those are generally the two places i post stuff regularly um, i have a, a mailing list too um, and i think you can sign up for it off on my website uh, you can yes okay. verified yeah. <laughs> I, that's what i did okay so yeah yep. you can sign up there and i send emails out every few weeks i don't send a lot out <laughs> but that, that's usually like if i have a class coming up i'll send it through that um, with a way to register, or if I've got an exhibition coming up, it'll go into that. Um, that's, that's the easiest way to keep up with what I'm doing.
0: Perfect. Well, is there anything else that you would like to add?
1: Uh, I don't think so. I mean, okay. this is always fun to talk about. I like yeah. coming in and having a conversation with you about this kind of stuff. Yeah. So
0: I appreciate you doing it. It's always a pleasure, and it's it's kind of fun to see how this project has morphed for me and to for other people to come on that journey with me and share their own journey so I really appreciate it well such a pleasure Robert I I really enjoy chatting with you you have such great insights I think not only into art but into the human experience which is always really fun to interact with so we know where to find you we kind of know what's happening um, how to follow along and then I have a question for you. I'm gonna do the sign off. And at the okay. end, I have a question for you um, about kind of people who are curious about getting into art. Okay. This has been Sustaining Craft with your host, Elizabeth Silverstein and guest Robert Bean. Music has been provided by Jim Chiago. And before we sign off completely, Robert, what advice do you have for someone who is curious about maybe stepping into the art world or learning how to draw or paint or whatever, but feel like they don't have any talent to do so?
1: I would say this, that talent is built. Um, I, I think we have, a, we have that, a real problem with that myth of like the genius. I mean, they do exist. But drawing is a skill. Uh, painting is a skill. And you don't have to have all this talent in the world to learn it. Um, if you can learn how to do other things in your life, you can learn how to draw. It's, it's just a matter of are you willing to put in the time and the effort to do it? I, I, People, I think, I think they see, one of the things, if you're a good artist, it looks easy because mm-hmm. you put it out there and it looks really polished and it's like, oh, okay. Um, and and you know, if they watch you draw, it looks like, oh, they just have talent, they know how to do this. But for someone who's trying to learn it, you really do have to go back to those basics and say, okay, how does the pencil work? How does this work? And you have to learn all that stuff. So my advice is if you're interested in doing it, be patient, give it time, and understand it's a skill you're going to learn and develop and it takes time to do it. It doesn't usually happen quickly.